Welcome to Parlor Talks at the Fulton Mansion, where we talk about the history of the Fulton Mansion and the life of the Fulton family here on the Texas coast. I'm your humble host, as well as an educator here at the mansion, Joseph Fox. Today, we'll be picking up where we left off on George Fulton's travels in the early Republic of Texas. This is after his army service back in 1837. We're going to focus on his time traveling the young country amongst big names, legends like Crockett, Smith, and Seguin. On behalf of the Texas Historical Commission and our friends of the Fulton Mansion, welcome. Greetings, dear listeners. Thank you guys for joining us for episode number two. You heard that right, the second episode of Parlor Talks at the Fulton Mansion, the official podcast of the Fulton Mansion State Historic Site. We're going to be picking off where we left off last time. George ended his service in the Texas Army back in 1837. Now, during this time, the Republic of Texas faced problems in terms of its finances, so much so that they had to pay their soldiers oftentimes with land scrip, warrants, and IOUs instead of paper cash. So imagine that you serve a cent in the Texas Army, and the only thing you get back in, in return for your service is an IOU. Well, there was also a speculative boom in land happening with businessmen purchasing up land scrip from veterans and trying to build towns. So in the middle of all this, George ended his military service and traveled to Houston, where he found work as a draftsman for the General Land Office. At the GLO, George befriended the Secretary of the Treasury and former governor, Henry Smith. Now, Henry Smith is an often overlooked historical figure in Texas history. He did play a, a role, which we're going to have to expand on later on, in advocating for Texan independence from Mexico. He was also known as being a little bit cantankerous or volatile, you could say. But to George, they struck up a, a very friendly and cordial relationship. George asked for payments for his warrants. Instead, Henry gave him a personal loan out of his own pocket. In George's account, here's how he describes the meeting. I thanked him cordially and handed him my warrants, which he pushed away. I don't want those things. Much surprised, I remarked, I'm a stranger to you, sir, and you certainly want security of some kind. Well, sir, he replied, I'm going to take your face. And he did. George later married Henry's daughter, Harriet, in 1840. Now, Harriet and Henry both deserve their own background episodes later on, so keep listening, keep tuning in. We have a glimpse of when George started working for Henry in the form of seven pages from George's diary. In this diary, George recorded undated accounts of his travels through the early Republic of Texas, working as a surveyor, zigzagging between San Antonio and Houston. The journal starts in 1837, with George spending the night at the Tingsley Plantation and later crossing the Bernard River by ferry near the town of Columbia and traveling further to cross the Brazos River at the town of Marion. Today, Columbia is known as West Columbia, and Marion is called East Columbia. Tingsley was likely Isaac Turner Tinsley, a native of Tennessee who moved to Brazoria County in 1830 and later participated in the Texas Revolution. He owned, at the time, a 600-acre plantation on the San Bernard River. Now, granted, we don't have the full account of their interactions with each other, but apparently they didn't get along as well. In fact, George ended up receiving hospitality from a different farmer who just refers to as Mr. McCormick. George and his company traveled through Oyster Creek and had milk and mush at a plantation owned by a Mr. Hall. Delicious. 
The next day, they traveled to Clear Lake in George Camp near a Brazos River plantation belonging to one of Stephen F. Austin's old 300 colonists, a gentleman named William Bingham. It is near a family farm on Clear Lake that George had a close encounter with a bear. The story almost reads like something that would happen with Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett or something. <laughs> According to his journal, in front of the house, a large bear came within 30 yards of us and stopped until the settler had nearly loaded his gun when he started out on the prairie. When the farmer saddled the horse to pursue the bear, the bear turned around and charged towards the house where his family and George were. In George's words, the women and children screamed. I seized the smallest child and put it into the house and had just got the door shut when the bear came up. George remembered that the bear was so near to me that it brushed me in his passing. I made a blow at him with a wood axe, but missed him and escaped into the lake. That is, the bear escaped into the lake. Luckily, no one was hurt. From Clear Lake, they traveled to Houston, eating bread and water from puddles. They were able to fill their canteens. At night, George was awakened by a large wolf going through their bag with the bread in it. George wrapped it on the head with a stick, sending it howling into the night. In Houston, George surveyed near Buffalo Bayou, seeing pine trees for the first time in nine years. He contemplated joining the ranger and pioneer Erastus Deef Smith on his way to survey near Nacogdoches, but instead started another trip back on the prairie. This time, he was to head to Bejar, or San Antonio, after receiving a map from the General Land Office Commissioner, John Petit Borden. George traveled back past the Brazos and Bernard to a campsite near the Colorado on a farm belonging to a Mr. Mercer, where he waited four days for Borden to meet him. George spent those four days subsisting mainly off of watermelon, according to his account in his diary. This was uh, for about four days until Borden arrived at the campsite with a Colonel Switzer and Lieutenant Robert Patton Crockett. So George, to my knowledge, did not meet Davy Crockett, but Robert Crockett was the son of the famous frontiersman who came to Texas after he received word of the death of his father at the Alamo. He served as a Texas Ranger, but then later brought his family over from Tennessee in 1853 when his mom received land for Davy's service. The family settled in Acton in current day Hood County. For the survey trip, Borden wanted extra men for protection as they were traveling through quote-unquote Indian country. The party traveled through the settlements of Texana and Victoria through the Navidad, Guadalupe, and Aransas Rivers. They camped on the Fannin Battlefield, west of Coleta Creek, and passed through the town of Goliad. George had choice condemnation for the Texan commanders from the Revolution James Fannin and William P. Miller for, through incompetence and cowardice, allowing the Goliad massacre to occur. However, he admired the quote-unquote ancient town of Goliad. George described the town as abandoned with only the light from a few stars that peeped out between the clouds, making each hakal and via look like a fort, and only the sound of the horse hooves to break the still quiet. The group traveled on through rain to Cibolo, while Lieutenant Crockett became sick and ended up leaving the party. By nightfall the next day, they arrived at Erasmo Seguin's rancho, the Seguins were an old San Antonio family prominent in both pre-revolution Texas and San Antonio politics, but also during the Texas Revolution as Juan Seguin was a survivor of the Alamo and commander in the Texian army. Seguin's father, Erasmo, owned an 8,000-acre ranch near current-day Floresville that they called Casablanca that supplied beef, 
horses, mules, and corn to the Texan army during the revolution, and in this case, shelter to George's group. While George does not go into detail in his diary about his trip to San Antonio de Bejar, he remained fascinated by Mexican architecture. George provided two early sketches of the Alamo and the San Fernando Cathedral in August of 1837. George visited the Alamo with Bejar County Chief Justice Joseph Baker, who showed him the rooms where he believed Jim Bowie and Davy Crockett died the previous year. Sketches today of both are in the archives at the Alamo, and George's account has relevance today as Davy Crockett's death is still hotly debated among Alamo historians. George's account was likely based on rumor Judge Baker gathered in Bejar. After traveling so much around Texas in 1836 and 1837, how did George end up on the Live Oak Peninsula of all places here on the Texas coast? How did George go from working for Henry Smith as a protege to being his son-in-law? We'll get into that next time when we explore the life of Harriet Gillette Smith. That's a story for another time though. I hope your stop by our parlor made you feel home sweet home. Mm -hmm.